You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Waiting in the middle, and Jancic put a decent ball in. It's a deep one. Up goes McKenna, hit it back across, gone to the net. Kevin McKenna with the equaliser for Hearts. It's one all, and scenes of absolute joy in the away end. Hello, and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. So we got our wish, four points from the two games against St Mirren. Neither was really overly pretty, but at the end of the season, I just wonder how important those uh, those four points could could be. Um, and that's, that's a big couple of results, but not as big as the week we've got coming up, home to Aberdeen and then a wee trip to Easter Road down in Leith in the, in the Scottish Cup. Two wins from those, and my God, what a what a season it could be. How are you? I'm very well. Yes, the big games are coming thick and fast. Uh, they do say it's uh, what's it? A sign of a good team is when they can not be at their best, not play particularly well, but still grind out a result, which is certainly what Hearts did on Friday night against St Mirren, which we will talk about on this week's episode of Scarves Around the Funnel. We will look ahead to the Aberdeen game briefly. We'll probably keep those two elements fairly sharp this week. We are recording on a Tuesday, so the Aberdeen game is less than 24 hours away. So by the time you're listening, could well be after that game. So we'll try not to spend too much time on that. And we also have a special guest this week. So again, we're not going to get too deep into the St Mirren review because we have uh, a former Hearts left back joining us and someone whose association with hearts almost feels synonymous with your association with hearts, Mr. Donaldson. <laughs> and it's not Graham Weir. No, he's, he's <laughs> one of them, but yeah, it's for similar reasons. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to, to think it was, it was all that time ago. 20 um, years ago this year, isn't it? That was frightening. It really is. A- April 19th, I think it was 2003. Isn't it funny how, certainly, well, I'm saying how my brain works, and I don't know if it's the same with most people, but when you've got something out of the ordinary, that where were you when, mm-hmm. uh, if it was Tyne Castle or to do a heart, so your, your brain just kind of goes into that mode of remembering a lot of things about that day um, or the goal or, or whatever. Yet short-term, maybe it's old age, short-term memories is sometimes a problem, and that's why I'm always wary about we did the quiz of 2022, and it, you watch it at the time. You watch the full 90 minutes, but I can I can tell you a lot about that Celtic game that uh, that Austin McCann scored that screamer in, um, and the the Hibs Hearts the four all draw. But 
ask me what happened in a a mundane midweek game that Hearts mm-hmm. played uh, last year, and I'd I'd be struggling. But yeah, um, Austin McCann, um, not weirdly a bit like Wayne Foster, someone who'll probably be remembered by Hearts fans only for one thing, but it wasn't a bad thing, was it? Certainly wasn't. So yes, we're delighted that Austin McCann will be joining us this week um, very shortly to have a chat. And in terms of where you were, it's funny, I, some homework has just popped into my head. And I think we've done similar homework in the past, but you know we're 220 something episodes in, so things are going to be recycled. Um, that particular game against Celtic, I was, so what was I, 16 at that time? I was very unwell at the time. I'd I'd been off school. I had really bad tonsillitis. And then I'd got a kind of throat infection as well during that period. So I wasn't really able to eat. I was very unwell. But this was a time where I'd first started going to games, some games with my mates. We were meant to be organising to go through. We stayed up north. um, So I was really looking forward to the full day out. And yes, there might have been underage drinking at that point. Can't condone it in the modern age, but back then, yes. Um, and I was like, I really want to go. So I remember I just absolutely loaded up on lots of painkillers. So you went, you went, and um, and some alcoholic beverages, which I shouldn't have been consuming at that age. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I remember I paid for it for about a week afterwards because my illness was then prolonged and came back with a vengeance when everything wore off um, the following day. But I, what I was just thinking was getting through the pain barrier to go and see hearts. You know, when have you, if if you've got any times you can think of that you were like, oh, That's a good I, one. I, I can't, I, I'm just, I'm really ill, I'm unwell. Or, or maybe there's another another reason you you really had to push the boat out. Maybe it was a, maybe it was a logistical thing. You were on holiday somewhere and you managed to still get to the hearts game. Times where you really pushed the boat out to try and get to a hearts game. Was it worth it? Because for me it was. <laughs> I think I was and to be fair, I was off school for like another week, but that was great because who, who gives a shit? I didn't want to be at school and hearts beat Celtic. The only thing was I, I missed out on slagging all the Celtic supporters that I knew at school. There, there you go. Tweet us at around the funnel. Email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Times where you you really had to push the boat out to put that effort in to try and get yourself to a hearts game. And was it worth it? That that's a really good one because you would think if it meant something, it was a cup semi-final or a big quarter final or maybe a final, of course you're you're gonna you're gonna do something, you're gonna make an effort, you're gonna find a way. If it was a really important league game. We were we were in a decent position, um, going for for Europe in in third. I just don't quite get why there was as much enthusiasm from someone that clearly wasn't anywhere near a hundred percent that you wanted to go to a game at Tynecastle against opponents who, prior to that match, had beaten us twelve. Twelve in a row. Times. I know. I don't. I don't know. I was I was young and all and the eternal optimist. I don't know. <laughs> Great story, though. Um, do you remember how you got back up the road? Did you go for beers first? Do you think sod it? I'm on this um, pain med. I'll just, I'll just finish it off you. No, we went back up the road. Obviously, I mean, I was 16. I still had to go home. Um, <laughs> oh, did you try and get in pubs in and around the ground? Did you try? Yeah, to I mean, ID or what did you do? Uh, to be to be honest, back then you didn't need fake ID, and oh, I, really? think, I think some of the some of the pubs it was like i'm pretty sure it was 50p vodkas and stuff so even at 16 you could afford to have a few drinks i would not name any pubs or whatnot but uh, it was it wasn't the hardest on a match i think, day I think to... we're past the statute of limitations for 
for that. Yeah. The funny, th- the funny thing is, is the, yeah, the, the funny thing is, the strike partner for Mark DeVries that day was only two years older than you, Graham Weir. And, indeed, and was, um, and even at that time, was probably about a foot shorter than me. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't stop him becoming a hero, obviously. Anyway, we should probably move on. Hawks again, patient. And they've worked it up to Barry Mackay. Left-hand side. 1-2 with Shanklin towards the box. Halliday knocks it back to Barry Mackay. Right foot shot into the left corner. And just like that, Hearts strike with their first real opening at goal. And it's Barry Mackay who curls it to the left of the goal past the despairing hand of Trevor Carson. It's goal number four of the season. And it's Hearts of Midlothian 1 you're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So second leg of Hearts against St Mirren, the home section of this after the 1-1 draw in Paisley, um, as Hearts look to get back to winning ways after a fairly positive period in terms of results against a Saints side who can be very tough opposition, as has been demonstrated by their recent home form and the recent game against Hearts. Uh, before we talk about the game, I just want to quickly mention, I know we spoke about him last week, um, but I thought it was a lovely tribute in the eighth minute uh, to Rudy Abbott yeah. from all the fans in the stadium, both sets of supporters. You even saw some players from both sides joining in a little bit. Uh, obviously, it's harder for them. They're doing a game. It looked like, it looked like the referee... The ball went out for a throw-in, and it looked like the referee kind of just said, "Look, just halt here, so we can yeah, we, we can do it. what a nice touch that was." Um, Rudy, he obviously very sadly passed away at the age of just eight from a rare brain cancer, um, and obviously our thoughts again. We said it last week, but our thoughts with his family and friends who and his family mentioned people can, if obviously they're able to, to donate in his honour to the brain tumour charity, which has been mentioned. You can see it on the hearts. Uh, Twitter page, but if you want to get them direct, you can get them at Brain Tumor Org on Twitter, and they'll have all the links to their, obviously their their proper official fundraising, etc. But I thought that was a a lovely moment. I think it's great when football kind of comes together like that. It doesn't matter, you know, who you support or whatnot. I think when it's been a fan like that who's died at such a young age, you know, far too early, um, it doesn't matter. It goes beyond sort of any rivalries. Uh, in terms of the game, two yeah. changes for Hearts, uh, the team, Devlin and Forrest out, uh, James Hill and Andy Halliday yeah. in, uh, Xander Clark and goals, Hill slotting into a back three in the right with Sibic centre, Rolls left, uh, Michael Smith right, Alex Cochran left with Snodgrass, Halliday in the centre and Mackay, Janelli and Shanklin, that sort of uh, trio up front which can be quite fluid. Um, first up, James Hill. The man making yeah. his debut, very impressed. Um, and I thought quite deservedly got Ambassadors Man of the Match for the game. Super, wasn't he? He's a player that clearly doesn't lack confidence and also clearly doesn't lack ability. I wondered if, uh, listening back to last week's, I said he'll probably be bench at best. So it was a it was a bit of a surprise. But I tell you what, I mean, he took to it like a duck to water. And some of the diagonals that he played and moved it quick about, comfortable on the ball. Um, I, I was trying to think last week, the, the style of play that Jimmy Dunn brought to Hearts. 
and how he became a fan's favourite in a short space of time. I think James Hill is slightly different, different type of defender, mm-hmm. um, but wouldn't surprise me if he is, has the same effect on the heart supporters. Because I, I think what you'll find is um, this is a good move for, for both both his parent club and also for, for him and also for, for hearts. And that that was a that was a debut to to remember one one or two straight passes, but he's he's not frightened, is he? And he's very composed. He looks like he could be a right asset between now and the end of the season. I don't think we'll have him longer than that, um, no. because I think they'll get a, they'll get a decent amount of money for him if they want to to sell him on. But if he if he does well at Hearts, they might be looking at it, Bournemouth and saying, "Oh yeah, hey, this this kid's all right." Because there's plenty of players. I mean, remember James Madison was up at. Um, was up at Aberdeen a few years ago. Casper mm-hmm. yeah. um, Schmeichel was on loan at, at Falkirk. It's not seen as a backwater anymore. There's there's managers down south that will come up and sign players, and it helps when you've got youngsters or or talented younger players going off to Italy and, and the likes. This is now seen. We, we would not have Garan Kool if um, if if Eddie Howe or Newcastle thought Scottish football um, was was just a, a backwater that, um, that that players go to to disappear. So this is a big opportunity for for Hill and for for Hearts, and also for his parent club in Bournemouth. Indeed, I mean the the big moment of the game in terms of um, in terms of football uh, was in the twenty ninth minute, and someone who's been very quiet, uh, certainly relatively in in recent months, is Barry Mackay. But when you have a flair player like Barry Mackay. Uh, one thing you can offer is a moment like this, and one of the best goals I've seen a score of this season, probably since maybe Barry Mackay's wonderful goal early in the season when he took out the sky and beat three players. He's he does still have that in his locker. I think that's maybe sometimes why fans can get frustrated, but mm-hmm. a, a moment of just Mackay brilliance, super goal. It really was. He's a bit of a luxury player, but I think we can get away with that if if his. If his teammates um, work a bit harder, run a bit faster, move a bit more because of what we see. And I actually think he's done all right since the winter break. I thought he desperately... He's, he's looked a bit, bit more lively, yes. Yeah, it's, uh, I spoke about plugging him in like a mobile phone and, and getting the charge back up because he looked out on his feet. He played most of the games. You did one of the quiz questions last week about appearances in 2022 mm-hmm. and Barry Mackay made more than anybody else. He just needed a rest. So he's charged the batteries, and there's going to be games that, when the going gets tough, uh, and that's why I understand at St Johnston when he didn't start, obviously came on and and scored, but a super super footballer he really is. The funny thing about this goal, and it was a brilliantly worked move, it was a lovely lovely goal to watch. At first, instead of the ball being played to him to strike for the goal. There's a split second, you think, if you can bypass Mackay, who was the player coming in on the right-hand side in the box who was in acres of space? And you kind of thought, I can't remember who it was. Maybe, you know, um, I'd need to watch it again. But you kind of thought, that's probably a better ball um, because that player's in, in a lot more space. But the minute it was played to him and he found the back of the net, it was just, it was one of these, you stand up and you applaud. Indeed. And most Hearts fans did just that because it was a, a terrific moment. Most, all, all fans. I was going to say, most fans in the ground which, did. Which which ones didn't? Yeah, no, I, I, I meant to say most fans in the ground Really did. grumpy ones. Those are the ones that kind of want Nielsen out from a team selection. 
<laughs> the game as a whole. Now, what we're going to do, um, there is a big moment at the end we want to talk about, but we are going to get uh, Des Roach back on. So he's the former grade one referee of the Get Involved Referee podcast who was on before to talk decisions. So he's kindly uh, told us he'll come on to speak about that. So the big penalty call at the end, we will chat about that uh, shortly. But in terms of the game as a whole, Mark, it was one of these similar to the last St Mirren game and similar to what you kind of get against St Mirren, they're such a well-organised, well-drilled outfit. It's not pretty to watch. Uh, you know, they don't look to play silky football, but they know their strengths and their weaknesses and they will try and frustrate you, um, try and bully you, um, let you have loads of possession and then maybe try and catch you on the break. And it wasn't a good watch at times, was it? And we had to dig in and, and I suppose just battle and fight and just about scrape over the line. Thinking, I, I thought you'd you'd kind of ask this, and I was thinking about what I would say. Um, Hearts supporters right now are brilliant. From the Gorgi Ultras making the noise to a 2,500 waiting list for a season ticket, there really is a feel-good factor about the football club. And, and as someone, uh, an expat now overseas, one of many, um, listening and watching all around the world to Hearts, it's one of the highlights of our week. I, I, and I'm speaking for myself, I, I'm probably speaking for, for many of us overseas that can't get to the games, um, getting half an hour build-up for home games on, on Hearts TV and, and watching it. And it, it's it's really, I mean, for, for those of us of a certain vintage and, and older, it's not always been like this. Um, there's been a lot of, of misery. But with that, and with an unbeaten run since we got back from the World Cup break, comes expectation. Uh, comes expectation of performance. Uh, comes expectation having beaten Hibs 3-0 and 1-3-2 at St Johnston. Uh, comes expectation that, okay, right, well, this is what we expect. And there can be a little bit of complacency. And this isn't having a go at anybody. This is listening from afar to that game against St Mirren and thinking... This isn't as loud as I've heard Tyne Castle. This isn't the Hibs game. And understandable, it's, it's St Mirren at home, they're stuffy and, and whatever. I just hope that the fans don't get, not complacent, but don't... And I think that Aberdeen will be different, because Hearts Aberdeen as a fixture is predominant, right? It's, they're, they're a challenge, regardless. It's, their fans always make a noise. But I just, I don't want Hearts fans to kind of d develop into a, right, come on, entertain us. This is about, in, in all the games that you play, whether you're Celtic and going to win the league, there's always that few games that you kind of think, oh, we've only that good that day. But you know what? Good teams find a way. But good teams find a way because they have help. And I really hope that we can continue. Hearts fans being brilliant right now. That was, it was a little bit difficult at times because it was like, where's the noise? And it can't be if the Gorgelters don't make a noise, no one's going to. We can't we can't have that. And it's the whole what came first, the chicken or the egg. Who's it up to? Is it up to the fans to get behind the team? Is it up to the teams to produce something that the fans are gonna gonna support? So just going forward, Hearts fans have got a huge, huge part to play. But we've said it before, when Time Castle is full, as it is for most games these days, when things aren't going well, it can be a place that isn't the greatest to play if you're not the most confident of players, if you do have to go back, but you don't want to because you hear the moans from the stand, fucking go forward! 
I get that. I understand that. But just just a little bit patience, please. Um, I think the next two games, especially the, the Derby on Sunday, we're away from home. The fact we've only got one home game left this month. I don't think I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think Aberdeen are good opposition for us because I think that should automatically the fixture should generate a good atmosphere. But just at times and a fair bit of that St. Mirren game, I kind of thought, ooh, I could do with a wee bit more coming from the stands. But understandable, it was nervy and we got there in the end. That's all that matters. Okay, so we want to talk about uh, a particular decision, or not <laughs> a decision, that happened late on in this game against St Mirren on Friday night. And we're delighted to be joined once again by former Grade 1 referee and uh, part of the Get Involved Referee podcast, Des Roach, to give his expert opinion on this. I know he doesn't like being called an expert, but he's as close as we'll get. <laughs> As, as close as I'll get to being an expert as somebody calling me, so you you keep going. This is great. <laughs> so thank you for joining us, Des. Um, we really appreciate it. We had um, a lot of positive feedback, which isn't normal for someone who, even if you're not a referee anymore, but anyone who was a referee at any point in their lives, you don't normally get positive feedback, but we got lots of good feedback from your appearance last time analysing uh, some decisions in a couple of Hearts games. We'll see if you're still as popular after analysing this one. Uh, so we've talked about the game generally, but the, the big moment, which was controversial and a lot of St Mirren fans are unhappy about it, came with a minute and a half left. St Mirren on the attack, searching for an equaliser. Uh, Scott Tanzer curls the ball in from the left-hand side. It's missed by Greg Kilty of St Mirren. It's missed by James Hill of Hearts. It bounces up just a little bit awkwardly in front of Kai Rolls and past him. And it certainly seems to make contact with the Hearts defender um, around his right arm area. And there's a lot of calls, a lot of shouts from St Mirren fans behind the goal, from the St Mirren players, from Stephen Robinson. There is some kind of VAR check back in Glasgow, but they tell referee, uh, the referee to continue and there is no review required. Um, talk us through this moment. I know we've had a wee chat beforehand. I know you've seen some replays. How do you feel this one um, should have been interpreted, interpreted and how do you feel um, they came to the decision they did? So I think that that question is is reversed in, in the order that it should be done. Um, so there was certainly some there was certainly some conjecture in the the contact with Kyros. Um, so the first thing that should have been happened was if I was a match referee and VAR had, had said to me, "Well, oh, there's nothing to look at." I think I would want to to double check it for myself and say, "No." I want to come across and see this because what you're doing then is you're giving credence to the, the decision that you're going to give, whether that's for a penalty or against a penalty. So I would have wanted to I would have wanted to look at it. Going by decisions that we've seen already given this year, I don't really think that there's a great deal of argument not to award a penalty. Now I know that's not going to be particularly popular um with with, with your listeners. Um the contact for me when my initial look at it, I thought, yes, it looks like a penalty. I'd be quite happy, but I would want to go and see the evidence for myself. The fact that David, it was David Monroe, I'm sure, that didn't yes, go and look David at Monroe. it, yeah. 
yeah, I think the fact that David didn't go and look at it didn't really help himself there. And it would lead to the more people saying, oh, well, well, it's inconclusive. See, if it's inconclusive, I can I can accept that. Not a problem. If it's inconclusive and you can't say for certain that the ball has struck the Hearts player's arm, you can't give it. If it's inconclusive, you can't give it. However, the referee, I think, is entitled to make his own opinion because he's the man in charge, not VAR. He's the man in charge and he can request to see that decision because VAR is there for penalty decisions in the in the penalty or penalty decisions in the area. So I think where potentially he was let down there was that he never went to look for it himself and he's relied upon whoever was operating VAR at that minute in time to advise him. Now for me I think he should have went across and looked at it. And for me, I know we've spoke about it. Um, I thought it was a penalty, but I would want to take away any doubt by having a view for it myself. I don't care what anybody else gives me that advice. When it's that close and it's that significant at that time in the game, it could have been nipped in the bud straight away. Or, as we said, if it's inconclusive, then you can't give it. But go and have a look for yourself. I think that's really interesting um, because I, I can't recall, certainly in games I've commentated on, Laurie's probably the same because um, they would be in Hearts games and I would have watched them. I don't recall many instances where a referee and has taken it upon himself to kind of go, well, I'm not sure I got that right. And rather than say, what do you think to the VAR, just to go across for, for another look, that's something that hasn't been discussed in regards to, to this incident. Yeah. So that is that's very interesting that it doesn't have to be a video assistant referee saying to our referee, ooh, I'm not sure that that's the right decision you've made. You might want to see it again. Whereas you're suggesting that David Monroe might have been like, mm, I don't know, I should maybe go myself. The is other that thing to do is with the system, though? Is that to do with the system? Sorry to, to jump in. No, I think that's no. a good point. But, I mean, I know we spoke about it last time, Des, that one thing I didn't like about the, the way that they talked about the system being implemented on the little documentary they did was that there was a VAR official who he clearly thought the referee got it wrong, but he wasn't certain enough to say that he, it was a clear error. Now, the um, the VAR for this uh, Hearts game was uh, Graham Granger. Um, now, he's a name I, I, I'm not hugely familiar with. I'm looking, he's only had a handful of top flight games. Um so is this a concern if that's what they're being told that someone who's maybe not looking to undermine the official in the center that that's maybe in their mind it's like well oh god i i don't want to be saying he's made a big error because i'm not sure so i shouldn't tell him that because that seems to be the message we're getting is that far will intervene if there's been a clear error not a hmm, maybe you should have a look at it i'm no sure what rightly well, or wrongly that seems to be the message that's coming across i would say See if you've got this technology that's there with a view on it from whatever angle that they may be able to provide it. See if I'm the VAR and I'm not sure and I'm thinking there could be something there. Why not get the referee across or if you're the referee and you put the emphasis back on... Well, I mean, I agree, but is that is that what's being communicated? Because that, for me, that's not what I've taken from well, what I've seen so far. Um, no, it's, it's not. And that's been, that's been the issue that referees aren't being strong enough either way to take the advice of the VAR and say, no, I, I, I don't agree with you. I'm not going to automatically award a penalty kick or a, a free kick because you've told me. Because they do seem to accept the, 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 the advice of the VAR. You don't have to accept the advice of the VAR. 
if you think on your own merit that you've got it right, and whether you're right or wrong, if you think it all comes down to the opinion of the referee, they're the man in charge of the game, not VAR, not the assistant referee, not the assistant VAR, the man in the middle. And if that technology is available to me, and I know we don't want to go down the route of American sports and basketball and stopping and starting and things like this, but in such a high-profile potential case where it's a penalty kick that can have a, 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 a meaningful impact upon that game, why would you not use the technology that's available to you? Now, we will never know what's coming. The SFA will only put out so much information. They will only put out so much information. They will never nail their colours to the mast and say, we are telling A, B, C, D, E, because as soon as that one referee doesn't follow that, that, that path and misses out one bit and they get it wrong, then the SFA leave themselves accountable to um, to scrutiny and to criticism. So that I think that's why the SFA haven't come out and said, no, this is exactly what we want, because as soon as something goes wrong, which inevitably it will, then they're the ones who are liable. And almost to an extent, the referees are getting hung out to dry to a certain extent. If the technology's there, and if you've got a query, and or I have a query as a match referee at that time, did that ball strike his hand? I'm not sure. Well, do you know what? I'm going to go and have a look for it, and I'll make up my mind. I think that's the way, it should, that's the way it's got to yeah. be. You're the man think, in charge. I think the, the easy way to, to, to kind of sum this up is if it had been at the other end, and we were 1-1 or a goal down, and it was a St Mirren defender that did that, we would be going absolutely nuts. How is that not a penalty? How is that not a penalty? So you can't just because you're wearing them. We try and play devil's advocate sometimes on on this podcast. You can't suddenly say because it's up the other end. Oh no, it's, it's fine. And then, no, there would, then there he, would absolutely be Hearts fans calling for it. But um, no, of course. But but th- think think about it. So I've got a still in front of me now. The still is only used. It's not for the handball. The still is used to see what the position of the referee is. Um, in uh, respect to when the ball hit Rose's arm, you could argue that that his vision—he's certainly not got clear vision of the incident. He might no. have vision of some of the incident. The key thing here is he has given a corner, so he's seen something. He's seen some this. contact, yeah. Yeah. Now look, Dermot Gallagher was on Sky the other day saying Kai Rose is very, very lucky. And, and that's fair. I mean, Des has pretty much said exactly the same thing. But the problem here is we, as football fans, are in a position where it's it's getting... By taking 10,000 words out of the laws of the game to try and simplify things, they've overcomplicated things. And I know, I mean, a colleague of mine at ESPN, Dale Johnson, put a tweet out uh, earlier today saying that IFAB is meeting tomorrow to discuss law changes and offside is featuring as the main discussion point. It'll be interesting to see how, if handball is is also on on the agenda. The frustrating thing for, for me, Des, is that different leagues are officiated differently as far as the handball is concerned. And they shouldn't be. They shouldn't Correct. be because IFAB is the overarching... Laws it's a universal, exactly. For the world. So if a handball at Tynecastle is the exact same as a handball at Wollongong Wolves in Australia, it's, it shouldn't oh, be any like, different. Nice, nice reference. Um, yeah, well, 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 right there, so, Laurie, what, what, Laurie, 
that, sorry, there's that, a spot on here because sometimes you, you say, oh, we've got um, a, a kind of Scandinavian referee for a European game. So you might get away with certain things that you want. Oh, we've got a, 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 a Portuguese or a, a kind of Iberian referee. So there's kind of certain things that, you know, you might not get away with. That's tackling or different things. Handball is, is handball. And this is the frustrating thing. That is probably a penalty. We got away with it like we did for Michael Smith against Celtic. Do they even themselves out over the course of the season? Don't know. But we got away with that there. Yeah. Well, one yeah. thing I was going to ask. So, Des, you say you think it was a penalty. So, um, why? That's Because the ball has travelled a distance that Cairo's has been able to to see the flight and the trajectory of the ball coming across. If he's, what I would have expected there is he can chest the ball out. He's standing up. He's not slipping. He's not falling. But it's a reaction where he's put his hand out. Now again, the Connor Goldson one, which is preposterous because everybody in the world thought it was a penalty. But there's the IFAB loophole about protecting your face. Kyro's put his arm outstretched to the right hand side, which was unnecessary. Uh, that situation, yep. and I think when you see Kai Rose's face after it, and while he can be can <laughs> yes. be guilty by by, um, by facial expression, look into my eyes, look at my eyes. He's, he's, he's stolen there. He's absolutely stolen, and he just went to the post. Right, I'll just give the post a click. I'll move my arms. I'm, I'm just surprised he never tried to brush the mud off his arm. That was probably the only bit. He, um, he, he is actually trying to take his arm. Away. This is the thing I was going to say. That, that is, that's... is his movement. Is his movement a consequence of how harsh the handball rule has become? Because I think he's yes. trying to. That's a good. That's a good point. He's he's Absolutely. trying to whip his hand away because he sees it bouncing up and he's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and he's uh, he, he throws his arm out because he's trying to get it away. It was down by his side. Do you know what um, would clear this up? And it would take away any any doubt. And I'm sure it goes back to when. Mark and yourself and I played football as a little kid and we've came through it. What You're not going to see any handball? No, no. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely not. I know it's two say. words. Deliberate <laughs> or accidental. It's the same as a foul. If you deliberately go in and clean somebody out, like Anthony Stewart done in the Rangers game, you're going to get a red card. You've deliberately mm-hmm. went and take, taken that player mm-hmm. out. If you deliberately handle the ball in the area or move your body in such a way that you're going to prevent a goal or you, you've you've consciously done that decision, that's deliberate. Yes, punish that. Not a problem. See if you've accidentally fouled someone or the ball's spun up and it's hit you. That's accidental. That's not a foul. That's not a penalty kick. That's not a handball. That has been removed from the laws of the game. And the fact that Willie Young said in a newspaper article last week, who's part of the referee committee, in fact, he may be the chairman of the referee committee, he turned around and said that he wouldn't want to be refereeing in these modern times because of the way the handball rule is. Do you know what? IFAB sort it out, deliberate or accidental. This takes away any, any discussion. And you and I can sit here in a <laughs> podcast and say, there we go, that's the decision. And whether we're in Scotland, Timbuktu, wherever, that's, I don't know, is that too simple? I, I think you I think you I think it's wishful thinking to think it would take away any discussion. I think it would I think it would be better than what we have right now. However, there's gonna still be a very big degree of subjectivity around um certain handballs. But okay, here's one final thing because we don't want to keep you too long for this one decision and I know we've we spoke a lot about is the lack of cameras an issue here as well? Because I think the first camera, the one that's zoomed in from the kind of main camera that's from the kind of Wheatfield stand side view, 
it looks like it hits his t-shirt line, I think, on that one. There's then this camera that people have got stills from, which is behind the goal, but I don't know if that's one of the VAR cameras or not, because the quality, it's very, although you see Kyle's Ro Kyle Rose's arm out, it's so hard to see where the ball actually maybe hits him. Uh, it's not until you see one from Hearts, I think, which I shared with you, Des, which has nothing to do with with the match cameras or with VAR. It's one uh, part of uh, Jordan Allen who does some lovely match footage for our little compilation, our little montage. That's only one I've seen where it shows that I think it's actually in between the one that looks like it's his T-shirt line and the one that people shared, which looks like he's basically punching it out. It's in between those, I think. But I don't know if any of the cameras at the match showed that. So is that possibly again where they've said, well, I can't see it. I, I yeah. can't tell. And none of our cameras show us exactly where to hit him. So if, because he, Kyle Rolls kind of fortunately blocks the view of exactly where it hits him from the main camera. Yeah, well, again, that's down to the the agreement and contract that um, the Scottish FA have with the supplier for the for the technology in the system. Uh, what I would say is when you see these cameras from behind the goals, that's the only that's the only angle that a referee and an assistant referee will never get because no one is behind the goals to potentially potentially see that. Um, yeah. I know that we ha we do not have as many cameras as they use obviously in England. They are obviously far um, get far more money to to spend and throw at it than than we have. But we've got to use the system that we have. I think that possibly could be the reason that it's, as I said, inconclusive. At the time, they can only go on the information that they're given. Um, we've also seen other things since then and been able to have a have a debate on it. Yes, I think it's a I think it's a penalty. Will I go and slate David Monroe? No, because he can only work with the information that he's been he's been given and the, the advice he's been given. The only bit I would say if I was an observer at that match, I would have liked to have thought that David would maybe have taken it upon himself to go across and have a look at it for himself. And do you know what? He may have come up with the same idea. He may have come up with the same answer, saying, mm, "No, I'm happy to for it to go ahead." Or he may have thought, "Oh, actually, that that is a penalty kick." But he never made that decision. The decision was made for him, and the referee should always be the one making the final decision. Okay, that's fair enough. No, I appreciate your candor on that, um, Des, and we know. You're always very candid on your podcast as well. You can catch Des alongside Steve Conroy, the two former Steve Conroy, if I get my words out, the two former Grade One officials, uh, alongside Lindsay Heron, who presents the Get Involved Referee podcast. You can follow them on all the usual podcast apps, and you can also follow them on Twitter at Get Involved Ref. Forest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. One of the highlights about doing a Hearts podcast um, is getting guests on, recent guests, guests that were Hearts players in the past, and it's always nice to to kind of remember certain things that have happened. As a heart supporter, uh, as a former commentator, there's one moment that um, that actually stands out with regards to our next guest. And it, it, it's funny because earlier today, I was in the car listening to Martin O'Neill on Sacked in the Morning in the BBC podcast, and he brought up that bloody Austin McCann goal. 
And I thought, ah, yes, because Austin McCann scored an unbelievable goal for Hearts against Celtic that basically fucked your team's title chances as a supporter. <laughs> Austin McCann, how are you? Very well, Mark. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Um, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, supposedly at the time, you said, oh, your, your phone had blown up. Um, you were getting all the messages of congratulations, but there were certain members of your family that weren't too happy at what you had just done. Take us back to that sunny afternoon in April 2003. What you did, what you remember of it, and what the fallout of it was. Um, I just remember, obviously, it was an important game. I think most of the media had obviously been hyping the game up. Celtic Rangers are going for the title, but it was also a very important game for us. We were hoping just to clinch that UEFA Cup spot. Um, and as always, we always like to give the old firm, old firm teams a tough time at Tynecastle, and, and we did that day. Uh, part wasn't the greatest. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of sunny day. Part was very dry and bumpy, but um, I think we took the lead, didn't we, first of all, and then Celtic equalised. Henrik Larsson actually put, uh, put... I was looking at the Celtic team, actually, quite... You know, when you, this was a formidable era, really, of... I know that yeah. Celtic and Rangers are streets ahead of everyone just now, but back then it was a whole other ball game. You look at Celtic team, Johan Mialbi, Stylian Petrov, Paul Lambert, Alan Thompson, John Hartson, and, of course, Henrik Larsson, Larsson for younger viewers. Um, he just gave everyone the fear, fans and probably <laughs> you guys in defence as well. But yeah, he put them in front, and it was a, a Celtic team who, yeah, like you say, they, were, they would get to the UEFA Cup final that five season. Five days later. Um, yeah, five Vista, days later. Yeah, they went to yeah. with pretty much the same team that had lost at Hearts. There was another thing as well, uh, Lord, um, Jamie Smith played in the Celtic team that day, and he's my younger cousin. So, oh, really? <laughs> I was, I was have, um, so most all my family would have been watching the game that day from both sides of the divide. <laughs> Are they speaking to you yet? Yeah, half of them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, I think we'll obviously going back to the goal. It was um, at the time it was one each, and I say both teams were going for it, desperate for the victory. Us to get that UEFA Cup place and Celtic to go, obviously going for the title. And I think it was a free kick to Celtic, and I think it was Jamie that was in the wide area and whipped it in, and we managed to go on the counter attack. So. Um, Oh, I can remember at the time, just looking up and seeing there was, there was grass in front. I thought, I'll just go and support here. And initially I thought, maybe I'll maybe be a decoy runner here and maybe drag a couple of Celtic players in one direction so Seve <laughs> can pass it the opposite direction. Um, but, yeah, so uh, it's, it's funny because we... Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll play the clip right now of the goal. Andy Kirk's got a chance on the break for Hearts. Here's Scott Severin, Phil Stamp on the far side. Can Severin score him? He's on the left-hand side now. The three ball to Austin McCann. Austin McCann goes Austin. for the shot. Oh! Austin McCann! What a goal! Austin McCann has scored the goal of a lifetime! Austin McCann has perhaps had he reaches the title. And Austin McCann has perhaps put a stamp on a passport that takes hearts into Europe. So that was Mark Donaldson screaming like a little girl. Um, <laughs> but but I wonder how many Hearts fans... Now, this this is similar to maybe Ali Moosturk a few years ago, where um, Ali Moosturk picks the ball up 35, 40 yards from goal and... A, 
as 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 time goes on, it's 50, 60, 70 yards from goal, the story goes. But most people in the way in the Easter Road that they shouted, Don't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and when Scott Severin breaks, you know, Celtic are pushing, this is a rare counter for Hearts at that point. Um, he's got Phil Stamp going out to the right. Phil Stamp scored the equaliser, you know, once England's great hope. Um Phil Stamp was <laughs> the better option. Um I, I think <laughs> Surely, like you know, you're saying you're quite rightly saying decoy runner. What are you thinking when he passes to you? Because I, I have to say, I mean, I was at Tynecastle that day. I was going, no, don't play it left. Do you fair to say that his pass was great because I didn't need to take a touch of, and when the ball came, I came in, get my eyes up, and I think it was Didi Agat and Bobo Baldi were just closing me down. And I thought, my first one, if I take a touch here, it's going to kill kill the pace of the attack. Uh, and it just then split second, bang! I'll, I'll just have a hat. Um, and as I say, just couldn't believe it. Just seen it clip the post and the net wrap on. was just just a fantastic feeling. Fantastic feeling. Not just to, obviously the, the the goal, the type of goal it was, but how important it was. How really important it was for for us as a, for us as a team and obviously as a club as well. The reason that I said that um, Phil Stamp was a better option because. Whether it was a decoy run or not, you actually had two players on you, and he only had one. Yeah. And there's a part when Servi goes over halfway, Stamp looks like he's the play it now, play it now. It, it was like, um, funnily enough, at, at, at the weekend against uh, against St. Mirren on Friday night, I actually felt that pass might have been better if it had gone further out wide because the man was in more space, and then obviously it went to Barry Mackay, who scored. Sometimes it just it doesn't it doesn't seem like the obvious thing uh, in essence is 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 the right thing. Where our commentary position was at, in the old main stand at Tynecastle, we were right behind. We were looking down the barrel of a oh, shotgun. Got a good view, yeah. Oh, you know what that was like, Laurie, that position. And goals scored from the left-hand side into the opposite corner um, if Hearts were attacking the Gorgie Road end. You, you, if it was from outside the box, diagonal, you, you got the perfect view. And I would have loved, like, you know, I would have loved to remember we had the season... Um, it was maybe no, it's two seasons. I think you probably saw it for the recent Motherwell highlights. Remember, we had the season where we first started doing our own live TV coverage, and when it wasn't a TV game, the camera was at that position. Yes, um, and I know some people didn't like it. It was much lower, obviously, so it was sometimes harder to tell distances, and some incidents were harder to get a picture of. And you maybe didn't get as good a view from like an analysis point of view of the game. But for certain moments, I quite liked it, and I think that position that camera for that season would have been great for like a goal like that you oh, know i wish i, I wish like a worm's eye view yeah. wasn't it but it was just one of those it, it's easy for me to say it was the minute you hit it it looked like it was going in it happened so quickly i can't i can't say that 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 was the case but i knew you'd hit it well at which stage did you think oh i there was it the minute the ball left your foot and you kind of saw it on its way you thought oh i've just i couldn't hit that any better or was it not until it nestled in the back of the net that you thought, yes? Well, I kind of knew straight. I kind of, when I hit it, obviously keeping focus was in the ball and, and I knew I'd caught it sweet. Uh, and then as soon as I got my eyes up by that time, it had just clipped the post and went into the net. And as you said, I was a bit disappointed. I wish I'd done a bit, <laughs> maybe ran somewhere in celebration, but I actually just, my inner just, just took me and I just sank to my knees. <laughs> and then obviously was swamped with the boys, but... Um, yeah, yeah, great feeling, great feeling. And as I say, it was your only only goal for Hearts as well. Yeah, I know. And it was we had to renovate them fairly the next week, and had a great chance to score there. 
And I thought, really? I could have, I, uh, I had the one at the back post, I could have the back post and I probably should have scored. So I could have put myself in a wee run, but it wasn't to be. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't put questions out to social media, but someone did message because they heard that you were coming on and just said, um, Kenny Featherblock said, thanks to Austin for that 30-yard screamer against Celtic. Being honest, I was raging at Severin for passing to him. So there you go. That's, <laughs> that's probably not the only one. Well, that's, the other th- that's the other thing, Laurie, because when when Oosterk scored, there'll be, there'll be people in 60 years time, yeah, but it's from inside his own half. It, has your shot got further and further back the older you've got when you're talking about it, Austin? <laughs> probably when I do it with my kids. My two boys are football daft now, so um, yeah, it's probably up about nearly 40 yards now. Because <laughs> you were a Celtic supporter, I, 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 obviously you're not playing football anymore. Do you get to Celtic Park uh, at all? Because ultimately that got, I was looking at the end of the season, the, the 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 league title was decided by one goal. Never mind points. It was it was one goal. It was the Kilmarnock and Dunfermline on the final day. That wouldn't even have been possible because Celtic won their last six, I think, because um, they had some games to make up because they were playing in Europe. But ultimately, your goal cost Celtic the title. It's not quite eighty six in reverse, but but still. Yeah, see, eleven roundabout here. It's that that remark still gets brought up to this day constantly. <laughs> meeting people and that oh, he cost Celtic the league back and he cost and it's and yeah I'm from from Clybank grew up a Celtic support my boys are Celtic supporters take them to the games but I still love it when people say that I still love it you know what I mean I don't know it just feels like getting one up in a wee bit yeah, which is which just, is which is fair. I mean, Ga- yeah, you know, yeah. hey, Gary Locke was on and he said that about he was he was Kilmarnock player and captain for a period and obviously a big Hearts fan. But and he said some people would ask him about it, but he said if anything, he felt he had more of a point to prove when he played Hearts and was actually as up for those games as anyone else because it was a team that he had loads of folk associated with. He wanted to get up all his mates and everything, and obviously there yeah. was a big incentive. Yeah, I mean, when I was at Erdogan before I came to Hearts, we. We beat Celtic in the League Cup under Alan McDonald. We won one now, and I can remember coming in after the game. And the players are piling out the dressing room, all celebrating. And then next minute, Alan McDonald comes busting into the dressing room and starts singing, Can you hear the Celtic sing? <laughs> and the whole dressing room just joined in in chorus room. And so did I. <laughs> and this Quite is, right as I mean? well. Quite uh, yeah, yeah, I loved that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, when you play football, you're, I don't know what it is. It's, Play for the badge it's on your chest. It's that's that's the main thing. Um, and you play with passion, no matter if it's against the team you support or not. Here's so. a quiz question for for you, Austin, and I don't think you'll get it, but I want to ask it anyway. In Hearts history, there are only ten players that have represented the club called the same first name. If I was to say that one of them was Henry Smith and you are another one of the ten, do many people know that Henry's your first name? Not no, no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. My, yeah, my, well funny enough, it was when I first started playing for Ebdy, obviously you had to you were registered. So my full name's Henry Austin McCann. My dad's name's Henry. Um I think the story is they registered me and then I think my dad went out to wet the baby's head and I think it turned into two weeks out in the sauce. So my <laughs> mum took a huff and says, I'm not calling him after you. It's, it's that the reason I'm <laughs> So that's the story. So I was, I've was been called Austin. 
uh, ever since then, but it's still as he is, you see, on my passport driving license. It's Henry Austin. I did not know that. I didn't. And I just, and the thing is, I'd opened his Wikipedia and I hadn't even clocked that it actually says Henry Austin <laughs> McCann. Yeah. Um, so the nobody knew about it, and there was one when I started looking at the first team murder. So obviously, you're registered with SFA, and the team lines came out, and we were playing still, and I'll be away. <laughs> and I'm warming up in the park and I'm reading the team lines out and I was number 11 that day and I got to number 10 I think Kenny, Kenny Black I think was number 10 I mean, Kenny, number 10 Kenny Black and number 11 Henry McCann and next minute <laughs> I could see all the boys looking around the double take who's that? and I'm like oh Jesus I need to sort so I had to say to the club secretary oh you need to sort that out <laughs> the real reason must be that apparently there was a Henry McCann who played uh, inside left for Hibs between 1905 and 1907 so uh, <laughs> where did you get that from? <laughs> that's impressive that search, search Henry McCann on Google does it? <laughs> Foot, footballer born in 1887 played two years at Hibs so obviously you couldn't be you couldn't no, be associated right. with that, could you? <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> do you ever get this? Do you ever get that as your Sunday name if you did something wrong when you were growing up? Henry. <laughs> no, not at all. As I said, my mum made changed her mind after two weeks after I was born, so <laughs> it's just always been Austin. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it back a little bit earlier. Back in two thousand and one, you'd been with Airdrie uh, three seasons in the senior side. Yep. which led to Hearts um, coming calling. Gary Naismith had just departed Tynecastle, So in February 2001, in came Craig Levine for a 21-year-old, a just-turned-21-year-old left-back. Um, do you remember much about how this came about? Not really, it wasn't really much. But at my time at Airdrie, there was with a massive, massive Hearts connection there. Um, obviously, when I first went in full-time, um, Alec McDonald was the manager. And I got my opportunity in the first team through him. And to be honest, he, he was great. Um, throughout my career, I've never ever seen a manager get respect from a dressing the way he did in there. Um, it, was, it was uncanny. It was like, that was a lively dressing room. You took Hearts, ex-Hearts players like Kenny Black, Jimmy Sanderson, Alan Lawrence was there. Gary McKay came later as well. Um, so it was a real lively dressing room. And, the minute he walked through that door, it just fell silent, just due to the respect. And I was very fortunate because he, he kind of not took me under a wing. I was I was kind of thrown in at seventeen and eighteen, and he was always always on my case, always coached me through games, coached me through training. And I can remember we did a practice match one day uh, at the stadium, just on a Tuesday afternoon. Or, and I was playing on his side at the dugout, and for the 45 minutes of this game, he was on my case. Go here, go there, come it. And I was like, getting really frustrated. I think he's on my case. He must not like me, blah, blah, blah. And I was glad when the second half went, and we flipped round, and I was at the other side of the park. But lo and behold, I'm in the second half. He comes walking right round <laughs> to the other side of the pitch and spent the next 45 minutes getting on my case again. So I think Kenny Black had noticed after this. He says, he's seen my, my, my belly was my head was down a wee bit and he came up to me and says, what's up? And I said, oh, he's just, manager's always on it. He's on my case all the time. And Blackie gave him a great bit of advice and he just says, listen, the day he stops shouting to you is the day you need to worry. Mm. Um, so that's his kind of way of saying, listen, he sees something in you, you just want to get you through it. And it was great. I picked up so much, so many good good habits from playing under Ant McDonald. And I can remember the day that he walked in after, it was the last game of the season that he had and he walked in and 
just walked in and went straight to Jock Martin number one, shook his hand and says, thanks, that's me away, and went right down, and the whole dress room was in floods of tears. Wow. Um, just with respect. So, um, so there was a big arts connection, and Gary Mackay, he took over, when Alan McDonald left, and again, he really took me under the wing, gave me loads and loads of confidence, could probably see something in me, and so I don't know whether that, the Hearts move came about, maybe through Gary, maybe recommending me, because I never heard anything of it, but by the time I got my transfer, the club had went into administration and Steve Archibald had come in and bought it over and took the club over. Um, but it was a strange move, that, the way it happened. I had no inklings of it. Um, and I think there was a midweek full, midweek fixture in the, SP, the SPFL that night. And I got a phone call at the house. My dad took the phone call. And Steve Archibald says, the club's accepted a bid for Austin, can you bring yourself through to the stadium? My dad says, who from? And he says, I'm not telling you. <laughs> you just come to the stadium and we'll tell you. So me and my dad get in the car and we're driving from Glasgow through to the stadium with the fixture list out, looking at the fixtures. <laughs> because we're, we're going to a game, we didn't know what game it was because a club had just... And by the time we got there, we kind of <laughs> narrowed it down to... It's a good chance it could be Hearts, and I'm thinking, no, I can't. Hearts might. Hearts don't want to sign me. And Hearts were playing St. Martin at Tynecastle that night, and from there we just went through and obviously met the manager and had a tour around Tynecastle and things like that as well. But I could, it was a bit, it was a bit dodgy the way Archibald had done the deal. He was saying that, oh, the deal's only been through if you use my agent, blah blah, blah and and it was a wee bit sinister, I think. Hmm. So at the time. My dad was really uncomfortable about it and says, no, listen, something's not right here. We're just going to leave it. And then basically Steve Archibald says, well, if you don't sign, then now you won't play for the rest of the season for Erdry. And then it started, there was a wee argument going back and forward and I just I just stepped in and says, no, I want to sign for Arts. And that was it. So we got the deal done and, and, I, and I signed and it was, it was again, getting in that first day, it was a bit surreal walking into the dressing room and you'd like sort of, Auntie Niemi and Darren Jackson was there, Colin Cameron, Big Elvis was there, Gordon Jury was there, just real top, top pros that I'd, I'd, only, been, I'd only seen on telly at the time. So, yeah, real exciting time for me, as, as you say, Mark, just being, I think it was only just turned 21. Yeah, yeah. You made your debut against Claudio Canigia. Yeah, that was it, straight in. <laughs> I think it was a Scottish Cup game, and yep. that was really straight in. And I think obviously the Dundee had their, their foreign contingent, and against Claudio Carriga so um, <laughs> it was a bit of a fun, fast track but again loved it loved it just went in I think we played I think it was it we went to Ibrox in its game as well um, Ibrox yeah I think your next game so you made your debut in that uh, cup game which was a 1-1 draw it was uh, Juan Sara Sara who, who opened the scoring on half hour mark uh, Juanjo levelled for Hearts with nine minutes to go. That was the game we spoke to Gary Wales about, actually, when he, he came back and he only lasted eight minutes and he came on and then went off for the hamstring. Oh, that was yeah. after he came back from his long-term injury. But yeah, there was a, there was a, we, we absolutely battered Dunfermline the next game, 7-1, which was our biggest league win in 15 oh, years. But I don't know, were you injured for that? Or? I was suspended, I think. I suspended. Because uh, I was looking and I couldn't, work, I couldn't work out what we played because we didn't have a left-back anywhere. In the team, I was like, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't work out what the formation was that game. But yeah, you came, and then your next game, first league game, was away to Rangers, uh, where Tori Andre Flo scored two 
And, you know, we spoke about the, the Celtic team around that time. Um, but, I mean, Rangers as well, Stefan Kloss, you've got Perini, Amoruso, Barry Ferguson, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, as yeah. well as the record signing in Scottish football at that point, Tony Andre Flo. Um, must have been quite a, 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 a shock or a change for you. Not a shock that you were coming up against them because you would have seen them all on TV and such like. But to go from playing with Airdrie, with all due respect, to then suddenly coming up against those sort of players week in, week out, um, a big step up. Yeah, it was. Just, the Celtic Angels were really strong at that time um, with the players that they had. But I had experience from that. I mean, I said, obviously, when I was at Airdrie, we beat Celtic in the League Cup. Um, I think they also beat, beat Celtic in the League Cup. We went down to Kilmarnock and beat them in the League Cup and then got to the semi-final against Rangers. Um, so I had experience playing against them, but now it was a chance to listen. This is, this is going to happen week in, week out. Um, and as I said, that's why I was so desperate. I mean, when all the carry-on was going on behind the scenes about the, the transfer, I just and that didn't even come down to about money. I just wanted to, I wanted to sign. Wanted to sign, and that was for that reason to go and play your Celtic Rangers and the, the Derby games. Were, was one that was I was really looking forward to as well, getting experience, the atmosphere of of their kind of games. Let's take you back to January two thousand and one. So the St Mirren game that you ended up watching, Hearts won by a goal to nil. This was an interesting time defensively. Uh, Kieran McInnesby played left-back. Grant Murray played right-back. Now, a couple of weeks beforehand, Hearts had gone up to Pataudry on the 2nd of January, and that was Gary Locke's last-ever game for Hearts. So, Bertie Grant Murray has kind of gone across. Now, bear in mind, Stephen Presley, in the two or three years beforehand, I know he became a very um, a very strong leader as a centre-back, but he had a squad number of two that season, and, and yeah. he did play a lot at, at right-back. But once Gary Locke didn't play anymore for Hearts, uh, Grant Money kind of went across and, and they were stuck a little bit, weren't they? Robbie Nielsen was just a 20-year-old who hadn't played that much. Um, Darren Goldie had come in. Um, Kieran McInnesby was a, a signing. So that must have been around the time that they kind of thought, like, we Was we Darren Goldie's only game that Gary Locke final game? Uh, Darren Goldie because he only played, played once and it was at Pataudry I remember that no yeah his final game was the four, this is all through London Hearts which is the best thing yeah um, London Hearts say that uh, Darren Goldie's final game uh, was as final. an unused sub well that's the game I mean uh, so, yeah it, it, it might have been because um, that was it was Gary Locke's last game um, I mean Simi was on the bench but defenders Robbie Nielsen so you must have been brought in to kind of fix this issue that they didn't really have a left back because they had players yeah. playing out of position there. The The other thing, Austin, was having interviewed you many times back then, because of what you had done at Airdrie, this wasn't a kid that's coming through who's just like never played the first team before. You had all this experience. I always had you as someone that had an older head on young shoulders and you never got too high about things, and you never got too low. You kind of, you were able, I don't know if internally it was the same, but you appeared like you were able to take things in your stride, and you were a, you were one of the more mature, younger players in Scottish football at the time. Is that fair? Yeah, I would probably agree with that, and that was probably just down to the, the kind of upbringing I had at Airdrie. I mean, I was in that, thrust into that, that first team dressing room as a 17-year-old, and again, I was just mixing me 
I think the next oldest players in that Airdrie team was Marvin Wilson and Tony Smith at the time, and I think they were at 24, 25. Wow. And then after that, it was you were in here. They were all like experienced guys in their 30s. And I was in and, about, in and about that day in, day out, playing games on Saturday, p- picking up the habits, seeing how they act, imitating how they act, how they go about their business. And um, yeah, and, uh, through that time as well, I got, obviously getting into the Scotland under 18 squad as well. So I picked up a lot of experience from there. So maybe that's, maybe that's one of the reasons why uh, the manager decided to sign me, because of maybe that reason. That I, he thought I could get in there straight away. And, and solve that problem. The summer of two thousand and one, so the obviously the next um, summer following your arrival, uh, Stefan Mahi comes in, um, mm. and uh, very quickly gives you obviously some very tough competition for that left back berth. Uh, Craig Levine also had a fondness for playing. I think Alan Mabry inverted on the on the left-hand side, ahead of his time was that Craig Levine, and um, Robbie Nielsen on the right, when he started getting in, were you frustrated at all with the the kind of opportunities that started, obviously they started to become a bit more limited, I think you, you only played just over 40 games in total yeah. for Hearts by the, the time you left, 45 in total, 39 starts. Um, was that, did you feel you you had more to give, or was it a case of, you know, you were still quite young and maybe the, the likes of Stefan Mahe was automatically ahead of you, given his kind of experience? Yeah, I think when the summer came and, and they signed Stefan, I can remember, I think I found out picking up a newspaper of that, and then I thought, God, that was a, a blow. I'm thinking, bang, I'm, I'm hearts. I, was, I played every game towards the end of the last season, mm-hmm. and Stefan got brought in, and we were in pre-season and nothing was said and obviously Stefan started to play and I just had a quick chat with the manager and he says, oh, well, when we signed you, we never had a left-back, we, we were always planning on signing a young left-back and an experienced one. And I, th- I never knew that when I'd signed. And I was going to say, was that communicated to you? No, it wasn't because <laughs> because of the, the way the transfer was done, I never actually got to speak to the management before until, okay. until I signed, so I, I didn't know what the plans were. And what the, what their plans were, for how they seen me into, integrating into the team, and it was a blow. She said, "And that's fine. I'm, I've, I didn't want to be there and just be guaranteed a game week in, week out. And you're playing for a top top team like Hearts. So you can see the size of the squad at the moment. There's never mind two players for each position. Some some positions on three. Mm-hmm. So that was fine. But Stefan was he was I think 32 at the time, and he was just such a great guy, Stefan, and an unbelievably solid pro. I mean, I'd sit there and watch him and think, maybe we'll have a bad game of day and I might have a chance next week. But <laughs> week in, week out, it just it was the same performance, bang, 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 and I just I couldn't get in, and it and it was frustrating at the time. I, I was always I always seemed to be involved um, in the bench. I, I think at the time there was that real club had to have so many under twenty ones in the bench. Under twenty one, yeah, yeah, and I think I oh, can I fulfilled that quota for him. So I think I probably. It was a good one for the manager having maybe somebody as young as me with my experience of the, that I picked up at Airdrie being on his bench. Um, how, do you, how do you deal with that mentally, Austin? As a youngster who's who's got an older head on, on young shoulders, I can understand if you don't get a game because you're behind someone in the pecking order and your aim is to get ahead of that person regardless of who he is. 
But when you've been the first choice, it's not like you haven't been the first choice. And, oh, I, might get, I might be first choice one day. Yeah. You've been there. When you're ultimately kind of seen now as the, the backup, um, break in case of emergency, what did you think at the time you could do to somehow get back into the team? Did you? Because th- bear in mind, when you just before you you signed for Hearts, there were right-footed players playing at left back uh, and all sorts. Did you think there was another position you could play? Did you speak to the manager? What happened? Thinking back, I can't really remember many conversations between. I don't think. I think as, as well as the gaffer done with the team, I think really focused on his who was playing the starting eleven. Um, which is which is the way up it was successful and um I get the odd we sub appearance here maybe. I think there were a couple of games they used me at left midfield. Um I think I went we went to first part, I think I can remember how she saying, Oh we I'm gonna try it left midfield here to give us a bit of legs in there and, and try and make experiments like that, which which wasn't really great. I think there was a game at I knew, I think it was Christmas or New Year's at Tynecastle against Hibs. I think the one was with John O'Neill equalised in the last minute. Oh, uh, yeah, Kevin McKenna scored. Yeah. yeah. And Stefan had called in ill. I turned up to the stadium, still expecting to oh, be on the bench at best. And I walked into the stadium just before the game. Who's to say, Stefan's no well, you're playing. And I can remember the game. I, I think I had a quite a solid solid game I, I get man in a match somewhere and I get man in a match there and I felt like a really, really good game and I thought this is my opportunity now I can I can go and get a wee run together and try and get my place back and then the next game Stefan was back in and the manager came I mean he's listen Austin you've done really really well against Hibs blah blah but I'm going to put Stefan back in and then you weren't it, even on the bench and I wasn't was even it, on the bench he said St Johnston yeah and he says, I'm really sorry, she's, but I want to go with more attackers on the bench because they wanted to win the game, which is fair enough. And that was a real blow to me at the time. And thinking back, I should have probably, not maybe asked to leave, but really maybe tried to get a wee one move somewhere just to get a run of games. Because for my personal development, going from, as I said, playing over 100 games before I was 21 at Airdrie to then coming to get me bit, bit part game, it, it yeah. probably stunted my development. It's kind of a similar yeah. story to to someone you mentioned before, who's who's been on the podcast as well, which is Jimmy Sanderson, who mm-hmm. um, who said, yeah, if he thinks back now, because he was so often a bit part player, his his versatility was part of his problem sometimes, because he could there wasn't as many subs back in his day, so he could cover so many positions. But yeah. he was in, he was in, he was out, and he was in, he was out. And he said, if he could go back, he was maybe too nice about it, and he he wanted to be at Arts, and you know wanted to try and win his place, but possibly the writing was on the wall before then. Um, you were part of a, a one of my kind of favourite Hearts teams when I think back, and let's be honest, under Craig Levine, it wasn't pretty football, and um, Gary Wales has been on and has said something similar. Maybe he's a little bit harsher about it, but um, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty football at times, but it was often very effective, and I think you look at, like you look at the Hearts side that beat Celtic, um, Maybury, Maybury right, you left. You got Presley and Webster in the middle, which was a great pairing. Um, you got Stamp and Severin there, so much bite and tenacity in the midfield. You got Jean-Louis Valois, who, fair enough, he could have an awful game, an anonymous game, but then he would be unplayable one week. And then yeah, you had Vries yeah. up top as well. So many big characters around that time, wasn't there? Yeah. I think one of the, probably the major strengths at the time was he was 
quite good in the transfer market finding these players. I think at first I mean, we had Ricardo Fuller as well, who turned out to have he was a, a monster, great striker, very strong. Mark De Vries, very similar as well. Um, as a defender, fullback, you knew that if you were in trouble, you could clip one in round about Mark's area, and nine times out of ten, he would take it in. He would hold off that defender, and he, he, he was such a th- he was such a threat at, for other teams. Um, so yeah, we, we, we were a strong team um, in terms of the type of football we played. I think we were well organised. Um, go back to Wales' story, probably why he was not happy. The manager was really, really big on set pieces, defending set pieces. Like every single Friday or the day before a game, it would just be literally another going through set pieces where you should be in this situation, that situation. Could it could be monotonous at times, but I think there was one of the seasons was there. I'm pretty sure we went through the whole season without losing a goal from a corner kick. But <laughs> sure, but, yeah. but going back to Wales, I remember playing it. A game at Fir Park, um, and we're defending a corner. Walesy wasn't where he should have been, and the gaff on who's going off on that. And I'm pretty sure they took him off in the first half for it. Really? Oh, jeez. Uh, so I think that's why he's, <laughs> he's got a bit between the teeth. But that's they were they were so big on things like that as well, being organised and patterns of play as well. Get the ball in a full back area. These are your two or three options that we want you to use. So, um. Yeah, we're rocking and that's why we, we're probably so. But I think it's that season we finished pretty clear in third position, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, you, you yeah. did. One one thing I wanted, uh, the reason I was chuckling there about not conceding a goal from a corner, this is sometimes where your brain plays tricks on you, but I don't think it does. Prior to the crazy AGMs, when they wanted Robinson out and then Vlad came and and they were the gorgy suite had far too many people in them. But before that, when they were just normal AGMs, I cannot remember. I'm sure there was one shareholder, because we, we were in as, as kind of members of the media. We'd sit up the back and take notes. I'm sure there was one member of the media, because it was usually um, the manager who would sit there at the top table, uh, chief exec or chairman or, or whatever. So I'm sure Craig was there. And I think every single year when Levine was at the AGM, whoever this was, would get up um, when it was a point of order or, or questions. It's, Question for Mr. Levine, please. Mm-hmm. Mr. Levine, could you please tell me why you never leave anybody up the pitch when hearts are defending a corner? Yeah, that's right. And, and it was more like, I don't know if, if, if Craig used this line. It'd be good Robbie to ask him. Well. Yeah, it'd be good to ask Craig one day. <laughs> he could just point out, he says, well, how many goals are we conceded from a corner? And then zero. Well, case in point, case closed. But it was all, and it was it was like, why don't you have guys on posts or whatever? But that was the one question. It's like, why don't you ever leave people upfield so we've got a chance of countering attack? From one the person, though. You leave one person. Come on. Sorry, yeah, it, it he, annoys me. He, he Robbie does did. it as well. Robbie does it as well. Robbie, Robbie, really Robbie must have learned that from Craig. Aye, probably. Could be. Could be. I, th- I think there's a stack in about it. 30% of all goals come from set pieces. So it's a difficult one. I can, I can see if it. And I've obviously, I, I, I'm coaching young uh, kids now, and I'm in a, I take my older boys boys club team, and uh, I'll leave three up the park for kicks. Well, they've got to leave four. <laughs> I, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I think as well. Um, we played at the weekend actually, and they left his man for man, and I'm thinking, good if we can get we can get a clearance here, but a man for man going in attack. So everybody is. That's the thing about football and coaching. There's no right, there's no wrong. 
Right, I want to actually... Uh, we don't often get into too much detail post-Hearts, because we're a Hearts podcast. But um, you left Tyne Castle in April 2004. But I was looking back at what happened after Tyne Castle, and I- I've got to ask you about a couple of things. And first up, you went to Boston United. Um, yeah. Now, <laughs> a lot of people will be saying, Boston United... Who cares? Um, they were doing a little better at that time. Steve Evans was manager, which must have been interesting to begin with. But, <laughs> but, oh, big time. Big time. but not only that, I mean, I looked at who you played with. Now, you, you ended up having Andy Kirk and Stephen Boyack there, both at different yeah. times, um, former teammates there. Tam McManus was there, boo. Um, <laughs> but you, who I'd completely forgot about, who you played alongside, Hall Gascoigne. Yep. What was Boston United like with Steve Evans in charge, Paul Gascoigne playing, and some other random players from Scottish football alongside you? Tell, it was it was an adventure. I'll tell you that one of the academy, one of the English, one of the boys sent a half boys actually at the time says he wish he'd wrote a diary down of what used to go on at that club. He says it would be a bestseller. <laughs> um, the, the club was as I say, yeah, I went down with Kirky. Um, back to end up. Kirkie at Dunfermline as well, so mm-hmm. uh, ended up getting on with him really well. And Boston, it was just one that came out of the blue and obviously was trying to um, leave hard. Went to Clyde on loan when I left Hart. Yeah, very briefly. Played like briefly. six games, I think, didn't you? Yeah, they were going for the league title and the championship and I went there on loan and kind of screwed that up for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, and I was just obviously waiting for I think there was a couple of opportunities for me to stay in Scotland, I think, with Livingston and, and a couple of others. And I, that get put in front of me. And I, I just thought, do you know what? Fancy a crack at English football. Because I think the season before, Hearts had played Livingston something like seven times. And I thought, fancy a wee change. And I went down there. And, yeah, Boston, it's just a wee small, small town club. But they were signing some good, good players. I think Kirky went down at the time. Derek Lilly was down, he went down, but he only lasted about four weeks before him and his wife went not no having this, come back up the road <laughs> but, um, I went down there and I loved it, the first season I loved it, I played something like 51 league, 51 games that season um, Did you play against Fulham? You did? Yeah, played Fulham in the, that, that was Gaza's last game Was it the car? Was, was it, I don't know what it's called, back league then, Cup. Coca-Cola I had a league cut um, but yeah, I mean, Gaza came in, I can remember the first day and all, all the boys are sitting in the dressing room waiting for him to come in and he comes swagging into the dressing room with a Louis Vuitton toilet bag and a fag hanging out his mouth. But um, the boys were all on. And to be fair, the, the, the club, they never, he was he was there as a player coach, but he was wanting to get into coaching and his stubborn Steve Evans was, didn't really let him doing much coaching. Um, but it was great to have around. He was, I think he ended up sharing a hotel with Tam McManus, so that would have been doing life. Tam McManus and Gary. Oh, that's a strange mashup, like, isn't it? It's like Gary Wales and, and Robbie Fowler, who was telling <laughs> yeah, us a couple of weeks ago when he was in Australia. Tam used to say that Tam used to run at my training ground for the hotel, and he used to get in the Tam used to get in the car, and these guys would say to him, "Tam, you need to turn back, you need to turn back." And he have to go back to his hotel room because he needs to switch his light on and off. He's got this OCD thing. Oh God, one of those. He, wow. At the time, he was he was mad, addicted to fit, his fitness. Gaza, he, he never ate. All he did was drink cans of Red Bull, smoke cigarettes, and eat muesli. <laughs> and then he'd go to the gym three times a day. 
So I kid you not, see his face. He looked. He was oh, I'm looking at a photo of him, Austin, yeah. of that Fulham game. I mean, there's there's not an ounce of fat on him. There's, yeah, his face was very, very thin and gaunt. Yes. But you want to see his upper body. His upper body it was ripped to shreds. Yeah. It was absolutely ripped to shreds. And come the first game, he came on away to Cheltenham. And he came on as a sub. And you can see the Cheltenham boys thinking, I'm up for a bit of this. And <laughs> it was very direct down there in the league two. And it was back to front. And our keeper was getting the ball. And he was going to drop in and get the ball off the keeper. And, Cheltenham boys were just going and banging through them. They just wanted to be, they wanted to get a yellow card against them one. Mm. So it was something they could tell their kids. And in the end, I think the club just kind of, they kind of used them for a spell. Just down there for two months. Never let them do any coaching. I think he'd an autobiography at the time and they were firing them into the club shop to get them to sell copies of that. And <laughs> um, But it was actually a story because we used to, the away trips were kind of quite long down there for Boston because it was kind of out in the, Lincolnshire, over in Lincolnshire, yeah, so sometimes away trips for four and five hours, so I was only one of the only few players, me and Kirky, that stayed in Boston, so seeing the way bus come back, it was it was only me, Kirky, and by that point, kind of, Tam was there as well, and, and Gaza, and used to sit and, used to tell us stories and that, but his time at Rangers and wherever he was, so it was great to get around, and yeah, I was actually in my chance of getting the Morton job, um, and he actually asked me if I would, if he got it, would I come back up with him? Okay. Back up with Scotland just to help me and, and give me an insight of who's what players are playing. And I was at that time, I was just, yeah, yeah, Paul, yeah, no problem, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, never, never, um, never came through from. So yeah, great guy, but it's just a shame the way. I think he's probably had that most of his career. People taking advantage of him. Yeah, yeah. Have you got any? Any? Well, I'm sure there's hundreds, but what's your best Steve Evans story? Oh dear. <laughs> dear, dear. Honestly, the guys. To be fair, it, I was. He's a random raver. Honestly, we were. What, played an FA Cup game 3 0 up against Swindon in a replay at home. Absolutely battered in the first half. And he went, came in at half time and absolutely just started fighting everybody. Just that was <laughs> that was his type. And all these English boys were. They were shocked with us. But I was kind of used to it. Do you know what I mean? I was kind of used to the. Not bringing you had the airbrain, so Craig Levine could, could give it give it his all as well. Um, but it was just some of the stuff. There was a boy, obviously, you've seen the size of him, he's 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 not a, he's not a thin guy, and big it, it kindly, yeah, <laughs> with a goalkeeper, Nathan Abbey at the time, and his brother played with Norwich, he was a kid coming through at Norwich, Zima brought him on loan. So the, the boy had a the boy had a problem with his back and was injured and he was missing it in training. And uh, he was talking to the Steve at the side of the training ground while we were training. And he was explaining what's wrong with his back. And Steve had a face, let me sort it out for you. And told him to lie down near his front on oh, the no. training ground. Oh, no. And he proceeded to start walking and up and down his back. So this young 19-year-old was like his face down. And then Steve Evans, I don't know what way it would have been, was walking up <laughs> down his back. And Nathan, his brother, sprinted for the goals about 50 yards away, shouting, screaming, get off him, get off him. I can't believe it. I'm going to fix his back. I'm going to fix his back. <laughs> Thinking, Jesus. But <laughs> it was, I'd enjoyed it there, but it got too much. It got too much. Right. I had two years there. And by the time my contract was up, he was, he was his I seen to come and stay. He was offering me a three, four year contract at the time. I says, No, I've had enough. I need to go. Because by that point, Kirky had left. 
Stevie Boyack had gone on, Tam was away, I was literally there myself, living in Boston myself in a season. No, and I had nothing lined up. I got married that summer actually. And I just went, I said, No, I'm gonna get married and I had nothing to come back to. Um just I was that desperate to get away at that point. Yeah, yeah. He's, too... he's managed to stay in the he's managed to stay in the game, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I was good. he's still going. Um, he's a survivor. Yeah. They just be yeah. asking Villa last week. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, you, had, you had two years at uh, Notts County after that, um, yeah. and you returned to Scotland in 2008 with Dunfermline. You had a very good spell there, yeah. uh, became club captain. Now, there's one particular thing I want to you know. We're not getting into too much about the Dunfermline period. However, November 2011, league game. You know where I'm going to go with this? Easterwood. Easter Road. Colin Bowden would dislike that game. Is that is, is that what happened? I didn't really have to realise it. Hibs nil. So won. you're to blame. If you haven't scored won. that, he might, oh, he he might still have been in a job. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Oh, that what, was do you, what do you remember that? Because Andy Kirk was, was with you in that game as well. Yeah, yeah. We were, we'd just been promoted. We, we'd won the championship the year before and we'd just, we'd just come up and uh, we were finding it tough. And it was, that was how Hibs were finding it tough in the league at that point as well. So it was, it was a big game and it was early on in the game. I think we were playing wing backs in that game, and I was playing left wing back. Uh, just one of the boy Paul Irvs on the right hand side, and you know, ex Hearts player, I was getting stuck for the main stand at Easter Road early on in the game, and just I gambled on a, the boy crossing ball in, and Hibs defenders. I don't know, maybe never expecting it to come in. And I got a nice wee volley on it, and it was a decent finish. And we managed to hold out the rest of the game and win one nil. And I'm, I think Colin Calder would get sacked. <laughs> no long after that game so yeah it was good to score a win at Easter Road and and Mark do you know who was playing that game Paul Bloody Hanlon was playing then still, still going God, still going there I know what about, I know. What about Stevenson he must have been playing there as well I think he might have been aye he, he did, did. Aye, he did. God, he's... Lee, Lee Griffiths played he, he was Griffiths playing as well. Junior Gogo uh, Junior Gogo played yep because that season, that season didn't end too well for Hibs either. I can't quite remember the, the final match of that campaign, but our our, our co-host who's not with us today would have certainly brought it up. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so when you think back to Hearts, I mean, obviously you would have probably liked to have played more than the 45 games you had in total, but that winner against Celtic, is there has there been a better moment for you? A single moment in a game, or, or is that Still must be right up there, is it? Oh, yeah, definitely. In terms of a single moment again, yeah, that's right up there. Um, obviously, when I was the fair when I, I was a captain, they said we won the championship. So that yeah. feeling, that feeling when the final whistle went, I think we won the league down at clinched it down at Carplow. That feeling when the final whistle went was, was right up there as well. So probably the two moments. Um, but as you say, the, the, the goal against Celtic, as I said earlier, it's Living out here, it still gets mentioned to this day. Even if you I'm... ever, sorry, Austin, if you ever need to know um, outside of, of Scotland um, how much no one really cares about any of the other teams, and it's it's always Celtic and Rangers, Rangers and Celtic. Here's the um, here's the the match report that appeared in the Mirror. Bearing in mind, Hearts, Heart of Midlothian Football Club from Gorgie, Tynecastle, had just mm-hmm. beaten Celtic. This is the opening couple of paragraphs. Celtic fan Austin McCann 
was last night refusing to answer his mobile phone after his injury time winner for Hearts dented the boys' title dream. The fullback drilled in the goal that may have settled the title with three minutes into added time and then steeled himself for plenty of flack. He said, I've already got nine messages on my mobile. I'm not listening to any of them and I won't be either. Certainly not right now. They'll all be from family and friends. I thought my shot was going over, but it dipped just at the end and went in. I could have celebrated, but I was just too exhausted. <laughs> I mean, there's one reference to Hearts. Yeah. It's like McCann's bombshell leaves Celtic eight points behind arch-rivals Rangers with one game in hand. Finally, in about the seventh or eighth paragraph, Hearts boss Craig Levine was lavish in his praise of the fullback who has persisted stubbornly and finally won a first-team spot. Levine said, Austin has had to be patient behind Stefan Mahe. This was a big payoff day for him. He strikes the ball beautifully, and it was a spectacular way to win the match. And that's enough about hearts. And then it went on, Celtic now, Faye. Come on, we've just beaten Celtic. And it's just like, the the, the first sentence, Celtic fan Austin McCann last night refused to answer his mobile phone. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, well, that is, it's, it's, <laughs> it's weird that I, I, not if I say, yeah, I'm a Celtic fan, but see, when throughout my career, I've never bothered with Celtic at all. Throughout my year, trading hearts and wherever I went, and even, in fact, my, my son just asked me a question about a Celtic team from years ago, and I, I said, I don't know, I said, I've never, never really watched them then. And it, it's that way, I think, I don't know whether everybody's like that, but I definitely was, I just... My focus at the times, whoever I was playing for. Well, I think uh, most Hearts fans who were around for that game were at Tyne Castle will always remember it very fondly. Well, regardless of what happened before or after in your career, I think you'll always have that. And you'll always... You should at least get one round for free if you ever come back to Gorky. Maybe if the, <laughs> maybe just don't mention the whole Celtic fan thing, because people might have forgotten that by now. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, Austin, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much for taking the time to come on. No, delighted. Really enjoyed it. Good to catch up with you both. Cheers very much and good luck with uh, good luck with the football coaching as well. Cheers guys. Thank you. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. That was Austin McCann former Hearts left back, uh, former scorer of a winning goal against Hebs and former teammate of Paul Gascoigne, among other things. During he made his, his debut games. against Claudio Canizia. Indeed, he's got lots of things to, to tell those kids about beyond trying to <laughs> persuade them to not support Celtic. Um, too late. Too late, too late, indeed. Well, it was a pleasure to have Austin on, so thank you very much to him for his time. Uh, we're just about at the end of this week's podcast, and because we're running deep into injury time, and because by the time you listen to this, the hearts Aberdeen game may well have been played, we're not going to get into too much depth on this one, but we will do a, a very brief um, prediction for this. It's a fixture mark that has favoured the home side. 15 yeah. matches without an away winner between the two mm-hmm. teams. Aberdeen without a win in eight at Tynecastle uh, since the final game in front of the old main stand. But an Aberdeen team who will likely be similar to St and maybe not quite as extreme, but they'll be tough to break down, they'll be organised, and they'll maybe try and catch us in the break. And it was very effective for most of the game against Rangers at Hamden. Um, so this won't be an easy evening for Hearts. 
No, but I think that's why we have to start quickly. And we have to try and start quickly because uh, reading the comments of Jim Goodwin at his press conference today to preview the game, he wasn't sure. He says, I can't name my lineup today because we've mm-hmm. got the, the staff working around the clock. There's a couple of injuries. Duke's one of the guys, Clarkson's another oh, one. fingers crossed. Yeah, and they're already without Anthony Stewart. So they're tired. I mean, that pitch was like running in treacle uh, like yeah. on, on Sunday. So they had to play 120 minutes, of which a lot of the time they were chasing. They didn't have the ball when Rangers had it. So you would think that Hearts should be the fresher side. So we can't just sit back and allow them possession of the ball to begin with. They just get in their faces and it's time castle and, and utilise the support from the stands and, and take the game to them. And uh, and hopefully we can get off to a to a quick start. Um, it might be a game for patience because you're right. They'll they'll probably just kind of sit tight, sit in. They're normally a four at the back. I'm intrigued to see who replaces Anthony Stewart and, and what they do depending on on who's available. But probably a bonus expect... for Aberdeen. The Anthony Stewart well, suspended. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen enough of him, but a couple of people have said that. Mm-hmm. But he's he's the club captain, so he's going to be missing. Um, they'll be happy to allow Hearts to have the ball and, and probably not have much space between the, the two lines, defence and midfield. So patience might be required simply because Hearts' fitness over the 90 minutes, it, it might come in very handy towards the end if they're running on empty and maybe we still need a goal. So I'm looking forward to this. It's always a fixer like it's Hearts-Aberdeen. Because when I grew up, it was at times in, in the mid-80s, Aberdeen were, were the dominant side. Um, and then Hearts, Hearts had a spell whereby, yes, it's Aberdeen. We never lose to them. Um, I, I remember the 05-06 season, the, the Scottish Cup tie. God, that could have been anything. We were 3-0 up inside, what, half an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just a, a really good fix. They always bring a good crowd down as well. There's always a good noise. Midweek under the lights. Gorgie Fish Bar, brilliant. So let's let's talk scoreline and scorer before we go uh, I've got a score in my head, which is a repeat of the uh, game last season at Tynecastle against Aberdeen midweek, and it's a reverse of the defeat that we had at Petardry, which is 2-0. Okay. Um, I think they'll be very tough to break down to beat. I think we'll have to work hard and get that first goal, but then obviously when they do have to open up and try and attack us, we're going to nick a second when it, the game gets stretched a little bit. Um... Goal scorer, goal scorer, goal scorer. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kual again. I know I said, okay. I said, I, I, would, I don't think he'll start necessarily, but I think he will be involved again. I think he will maybe be the one that will be able to take advantage of the game getting stretched with his fresh legs and. Against a tired defence, so I'll go two 0 But I'm gonna, I'm gonna try him out again. I'm gonna go with Garan Kuol because I know you got the score correct on Friday, but I think yeah, you said didn't, get the scorer. didn't go with the scorer. So there you go, two 0 and Garan Kuol to to get his first goal. I think that's a really good shout, certainly for goal scorer because his interview, um, certainly the quotes I read in the newspapers and online after the game at the weekend. And he was talking about, he's promised him game time, but Robbie Nielsen's basically said, look, maybe for the first couple of games, you might have to come off the bench and see how it goes. So I think you're right. I think he he won't start. I think it'll be Ginelli who will start and and Kuo will come off the bench. With the absence of Anthony Stewart and 
with a little bit of tiredness and maybe not the best team at defending set plays, I am I'm going to first of all I'm going to say Hearts one Aberdeen nil, but like the St Mirren game. Um, but I'm going to go for a guy from the back to cap a brilliant personal week for him. Okay. Kai Rolls okay. on the back. He scored against St Johnson, got the equaliser to make it one one at Tyne Castle back in August. That was his only league goal this season. Um, I just, I, I don't know if Kingsley's going to come straight back. I know he's available and he's in the squad for the game, but I'm not sure if he's if he's going to start and if he does, who misses out? So I know that Rolls will play a fit. So I'm going to go with with him to try and exploit um, Aberdeen's slight weakness from from a a Snodgrass delivery and Kai okay. Rolls with the only goal of the game. If if you get that bang on, I will I will. <laughs> bow down to your superior predicting skills next time um, we are going to be back later in the week for a derby preview because we know yes. there's a massive game on Sunday, we obviously were running deep into injury time today with this one so we can't add any more time and we are going to be joined by someone from the, the dark side of the city <laughs> so to speak as uh, fourth one's Gavin Pearson is going to join as we look ahead to Hearts against Hibs, the Scottish Cup game at Easter Road on Sunday so stadium announcer oh god yeah don't say that too much i mean people might might skip the next episode but um it'll be interesting we'll have a, a little view from both sides of the city ahead of that big derby game in the cup um hopefully hearts are going into it on the back of a big win against aberdeen um until then you can get in touch on twitter at around the funnel or you can email podcast at scarves until next time thanks for listening Wear my Louis Vuitton But even with nothing on Bet I made you look I made you look Yeah, I look good in my Versace dress But I'm harder when my morning hair is a mess Cause even with my hoodie on Bet I made you look I made you look mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once you get a taste You'll never be the same This ain't that ordinary This that for